Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Get into it. We, we're in a sermon series called Possible, right? Through the book of First Corinthians, and I don't need to explain to you why we call it possible. Uh, uh, we I've said why we call it this so so many times, um, but today we get to a very important point that I think is going to be so beneficial for us um, as a culture, as, as just as a generation. It's going to be so helpful for us. Um, one of the things that people in our culture and our generation struggle, they, they, they live between two extremes. They really struggle with it or they obsess over, over this one thing, and that's purpose. Uh, why, why am I here and what, I've, what, I've been called, what have I been called to do? Why, why and what or, or is what our generation struggles with? And so we, we kind of are, are one of those generations where we throw everything at the wall to see what sticks in the name of trying to discover our purpose. But, but here's the good news about today. I believe today, after reading this text and after studying the Word of God, today we can know and discover our purpose. We can have clarity and certainty around our purpose. We can have clarity and certainty around our purpose. You don't ever have to go around after today asking a question, God, why am I here and what am I supposed to do? The Bible is loaded with and overflowing with direction and clarity for Christians around discovering their purpose. The Bible does not leave us in the dark. God actually opens our eyes to see what our purpose is. And if we would just open his word and read it and take him at his word, we can discover what our purpose is. And to the unbeliever, you may be here, you're not a Christian. You're in church, but maybe you like to hang around Christians. Maybe you're not a believer. You, you, don't, you, don't, you haven't trusted in the Lord yet. You know about Jesus. You're not hostile to him. Uh, but, but let me tell you this. With God, you can discover your purpose. You, you don't have to wander around aimlessly in your life anymore trying to w- figure out, am I in the right place am I, and am I doing the right thing? And so today, I, I hope that, that God gives us incredible clarity around purpose and we can move forward with certainty um, in our lives. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. It says this, this is, this is Paul talking. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, To win those under the law. I know that sounds crazy, right? But I'm going to clear it up for you. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I myself um, am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. Then he says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak, right? This is what he says. And then he says this, I have become all things to all people so that by every possible means save some. Now I do all of this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. And you've read this passage before. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? So run, so run Uh, in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we to receive an imperishable crown. 
And here's what he says. So I don't run like one who aimlessly runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let us pray. Uh, God, we just just want to say thank you today for this opportunity to study your word, to uh, come in contact with the living God on this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that you would edify our hearts this morning, God. Help us to grow in you and our relationship this morning, God. Make the picture so clear for us this morning. Let us leave with clarity and certainty around who we are and what we've been called to do. God, warm our hearts, God. Let us know uh, that, that you have called us for a purpose and a reason. And God, we have been called to fulfill the reason you've called us to. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us study, help us retain information today. Help us, Father, to grow in our relationship and, and, and live a life to your glory. And so, Father, we thank you today. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. Today I have a very long sermon title. It's still on the umbrella of the possible series, but I have a very long sermon title. Please forgive me for the long sermon title, but I thought it was worth uh, stating it this way. The sermon title this morning is Clearer Than I've Ever Been. Clearer than, than, I, clearer than I've Ever Been, a guide to discovering purpose. Clearer than I've ever been, a guide to discovering purpose purpose. And so here's what I want to say about the whole idea of purpose. There are three things that a Christian must know about purpose. Three things that a Christian must know about purpose. And I think this is not just for Christians, but this is also for unbelievers to help them. Here's what you need to know about purpose. And I think these three things may be worth writing down if you've been struggling with why am I here and what am I supposed to do. Here's the number one thing that you know about that you need to know about purpose number one and it's going to sound so obvious number one purpose comes from God number one purpose purpose comes from God who better to give the purpose to a thing than the one who created it if God created everything and that includes you and I then who better to approach about the use and the purpose of a thing than the one who created it? The number one thing that you need to know is that purpose comes from God. The second thing that we need to know about purpose today is that purpose is about God and serving others. Number one, purpose comes from God. And number two, purpose is about God and serving others. Now, I know that flies in the ointment of what we were taught today in our culture that tells us our purpose is about us and fulfilling what we want and, to, and how we can make ourselves happy. But, but God-given purpose, number one, comes from God. And number two, it is about God and serving others. Here's, here's the game changer. Here, here's what I love. This, this is so amazing. The third thing about a God-given purpose, and this is why I want my purpose to come from God and not from anywhere else besides God, is this. When God gives us a purpose, God gives us the help we need to fulfill that purpose. God gives us help. We don't have to manufacture something outside of ourselves. But God gives us purpose, and then God gives us help to fulfill that purpose. When God mentions the, the Great Commission to the disciples, he says at the end of the Great Commission, I will be with you always. I will be with you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he's talking to the disciples, and he wants them to go out on mission, he tells them, hold up, wait a minute before you go. 
why? He says, because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so God gives us the Spirit, but God also gives us spiritual gift. God always equips us for what he calls us to. Three things you need to know. Purpose comes from God. Purpose is about God and serving others. And thirdly, and so important, and this is a game changer, God's purpose comes with God's help. But that's amazing. And so, so we understand this and we are rooted and grounded in this. We don't have to go to our jobs looking for our jobs to give us a fulfillment that it was never intended to give us in the first place. We don't have to walk into the job hoping that the job will make us happy, hoping that our employer will treat us well, hoping that our employer will, will do for us what we think we deserve to have done for us. No, we don't go to our job looking for fulfillment that already God has given us. And so with that being said, when God gives us a purpose, we don't go to work looking for purpose. We come to work with purpose. Right. And so when we go to our jobs. We don't go to our jobs looking for a job to redeem us. We go to work so that we can redeem those at that job. This is this is this is a game changer for us. This this changes our mind where we keep looking for these outside things and trying to discover something, some grand thing. And here's what you need to know today. The way that we engage with people and the way we approach our actual work is how we live into our purpose and our mission in the world. Right. And so you may be saying, well, I'm a stay at home mom. I'm a student. It doesn't change your purpose because whatever you do, you do it unto the Lord. Whatever you do, you do it to serve others, whether you are a stay at home mom or stay at home dad or whatever your setup is. If you are a student, it doesn't matter. Your purpose as a believer remains the same. And so here's what this helps us to do. It helps us to stop looking for this grand thing and receive the God thing because the God thing is the grand thing. The God thing is the grand thing. And so God has created us to do work and engage in a way that will bring him glory, but it will also serve others. And so here's what I want to do. I pause and I want to look at a couple of scriptures and show to show us how clear God is and what God has called us to do, that God created us to do something. So so from this day forth, we never have to walk outside of the church and say, God, what is my purpose? God, God, what am I what am I here for? Why am I here and what have, what have I been called to do? This give, these scriptures will give us clarity. So we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what Paul says. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Literally means we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Look at this. For good works. When did God give it to us? which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So when you got saved, God didn't say, oh, man, I got I to gotta figure out something for you to do. No, God already prepared and, and planned ahead of time what it was that we were supposed to do. God is not desperate like you trying to discover what your purpose is. God says, I knew what your purpose is, before, what your purpose was before you ever got here. And so God is just waiting for us to catch up. And so he's already prepared ahead of time for the work that we are supposed to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. That means unbelieving world. So that when they slander you as evildoers, when they talk about you as a Christian, here's what they'll do. They'll observe your good works. And guess what happens? They'll glorify God on the day he visits. It's almost to say that your work has a redemptive quality and value. That if people observe how you work and how you live, it could actually save some. 
This is so good. Your, your work matters to God, and how we approach it matters to God. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says this. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. Uh-oh, here it goes again. Eager to do good works. So God is not caught off guard, like, trying to figure out along with you what, what your purpose is. God is not spending all day on TikTok and on Instagram watching reels trying to, trying to figure out and get some motivation for purpose. But here's what I would tell you. Everybody that is a believer is a part of the same glorious call, the same glorious mission. And, and, I, and, and I don't want to be over, I don't want to oversimplify, but it is simple. God, God has invited us into something called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, if you've never read this before, this is the purpose of every church and the purpose of every Christian. We all play a role in it. No one is exempt from it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, meaning every nation, tribe, language, tongue, doesn't matter if a person doesn't look like you. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. And so this cuts right under all of the introverts. I can't tell nobody about my faith. I'm too shy. I don't know what to say. I'm an introvert. I'm too shy. I don't want to offend nobody. I don't want to mess anything up. I don't want to say the wrong thing. God says, nope, no, 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 no. I'm with you always. This is a beautiful promise. Don't undermine this. This is the help that you've been looking for. You don't need to look for outside resources. God says you don't need that. I'm who you need. If you have me, you have everything that you need. We have to stop undermining the presence and the spirit of God in our lives, and we have to just lean into it. If God has called me to it, God has equipped me for it. we got to get that in our heads and stop being fearful and, 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 and blaming our anxiety and our, and our introvertedness on why we won't do what God called us to do. How amazing is it that God invites us in, takes out the guesswork, gives us clarity of purpose and mission, and then gives us the most incredible promise ever. He says, I'll be with you. That's amazing that he says that he'll be with us. So now we are not working from the posture of doing something for God, hoping that we get God's approval and hoping that God will like this purpose that I discovered for myself or this thing that I'm now into But from the moment that we are saved to the moment that we die, he says, I'm with you. From the moment that you are born again to the moment that you die, there's not one single solitary second that I'm not with you. Are you serious? That is an incredible, do you think, when you're at work, when you're, do you think, do you, do you even step into that reality? That right here in the mundane Nature of my job, God is with me. When it's incredibly hard and I don't really want to be here, God is with me. That that God, you got to stick that in your mind. That God says that I promise never to leave you nor forsake you. So this is once again a call for us to stop searching for this grand thing that's out there and accept the God thing because the God thing is the grand thing. I was thinking about this on the way to church. You ever notice when people are trying to discover their purpose? They always think that it has oftentimes to do with moving to another city. (laughs) Follow me for a second. You ever notice purpose is always in Atlanta? (laughs) Or LA? Or LA? 
or Dallas or New York, follow me. Just follow me for a second. Why is, why is purpose never in Fargo, North Dakota? You ever notice that nobody says my purpose is in Ames, Iowa? You, you ever notice that my, no one ever says my purpose is, is in Schenectady, New York? Why is, why is purpose always where it's, where it's popping or where it's warm? You ever notice that? When's the last time someone said my purpose is in Meridian, Mississippi? Why is God shutting these places out? Why is he always sending the saints to these warm weather climates? What is with God? You don't have to go to a location to discover purpose. You walk in it right here where you are right now. But I'll take it even a step further. Our purpose is not just rooted in us finding happiness and fulfillment for ourselves. Our purpose is rooted in the love of God. Because God has rescued us from slavery to sin and freed us to serve him. That, that we were sinners and Christ died for us. That we were, we were living in the domain of darkness, but God rescued us and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That God has saved us and rescued us. And so why do I live on mission? Why, why do I live into God's purpose? I'm doing it as a response of the love that God has shown me. And so my way of doing that is to glorify God and to serve others with my life, no matter what I'm doing, what I'm doing or where I find myself. Right? So this is so important. Remember, he says in Romans 6, this is not on the, this is not on the screen. But, but you are have been freed from the power of sin. Paul literally says this to Romans. You've been freed from the power of sin, and now you are slaves of God. So God didn't just free us from slavery so that we can go wild and free. God freed us from slavery to sin, and now we are slaves to Christ. Meaning that we move, we work, we live at the behest of our master, which is Jesus. Right? Paul says this, Galatians 5.13, it should be on the screen. Here's what it says. For you were called to be free. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Serve one another through love. And so if you want a clear picture on what this is about, what it means to be clear about purpose, this is exhibit A. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27 is exhibit A of what it means to be clear about who you are and what you've been called to do. Paul is clear on his purpose. How do you know Paul is clear on his purpose? If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, go back and watch the message and and, and watch the one before that. But, but, But remember this, Paul voluntarily forsook his own right to compensation so that he could serve someone else. You got to be real clear about your purpose and your assignment in life to forego money in order to serve somebody else. You don't do that for no reason. You only do that if you know that there is something larger that you're working towards. That if you know that you're a part of something bigger. Because sometimes you have to forsake the good thing for the God thing. You do sometimes, right? And so Paul, Paul is clear. Verse 19, Paul says, although I'm free from all and not anyone's slaves, I made myself a slave to everyone. Paul says, you know what? I used to serve sin. I was a slave to it. Now I'm everybody's slave. I'm everybody's slave. Christ set him free from bondage to slavery of sin, but now he's free to serve Christ. This is so important. 
This is so important. So part of our call and our purpose, I said this, point number two, is about God and serving others, right? About God and serving others. This is, so, this is so crucial. This is so crucial. And so when Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus at some point in, in Mark's, Mark's gospel, uh, they're jockeying for position. They, they want to know who's going to be first in the kingdom. They're jockeying for position. And you know what Jesus said to these disciples who were trying to figure out who's going to be first and who's going to be the man and who's going to be in charge? You know what Jesus says to them? Look at what Jesus says in Mark 10, 44 through 35. 45. Here's what Jesus says. And who Whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be popping, whoever wants to be lit, will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus served others by laying down his life so that other people could have life. Jesus is clear on his purpose. He knew that he, he came. It wasn't about what he could get for himself. He was God in the flesh, but he came with an intentional purpose, and that was to serve other people by laying down his own life. And what we see is Paul is just following after the pattern of his Savior. Paul is just following the pattern after Jesus. What did Jesus do? He served how? By dying on the cross, dying on the cross for the sins of you and I, so that you, you and I would have life, right, in order to win more people. And Paul says this, I've made, my slave, made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Central to Paul's purpose was this unquenching desire to, to see people saved, right? And so what do we call this, right? It, it's, it's, it's our witness in the world, right? We, we go to work, and I don't think we think about this, but when you go to work, you are a witness, you, you're not just going to collect the check. You're not just going to clock in. You're going to serve people, but your service is a witness to the goodness of God. Your service is a witness to who God is. So stop undermining the significance of how you approach your work and the people that are there. Don't undermine that, right? And our witness has also another, another work for it. It's called evangelism, right, where we tell people the good news about Jesus. And, and I get to thinking, some people are very, I can't tell nobody. I just, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to come off the wrong way. I don't want to seem intolerant. I don't, I don't want to look foolish. I got to thinking, people, people post all kind of stuff on social media every day with no regard to whether they look foolish or not. Have you seen, you, I, I, I used to be on Facebook. I'm not on there anymore. I got delivered, thank God. I'm not in the cesspool anymore. Um, but there is a time where people would put a plate of their food on there. I think the term was called struggle plate. And people would put these, their, their food on there, and it would, it would not look very appeasing. And I was like, did you really, did you really want us to think that this was, this was supposed to look good? And people didn't care. They put it on, pa- on, pla- on paper plates, right? It looked crazy. Like, what is that? Oh, that's, that's supposed to be a hot dog and baked beans? It looks like something else, right? But guess what? People did it with no shame, right? We see people every day put, po- post up on the ground with outfits. And we'd be like, hey, that thing ain't thinking. It's not. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not doing it, right? But people do it with no regard of embarrassment, it, it, is, it, is, it is just mindless, voidless nonsense, but people aren't afraid to share it. And guess what? You're not offended by it either, 
right? No matter how bad it looks, how crazy it sounds, we see nonsense all day long. But we got this good news that will save people's lives, that will change them from the inside out, will make the world a better place if people understood this good news, to know that they can be forgiven and, and come into a relationship with God, and they don't have to do anything to earn it or achieve it. We have this good news, but we sit on it for sake of embarrassment. But your friend posts a struggle plate. <laughs> right? So we've been all called to do this. Here's what one, 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 one author said about evangelism. Evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. That means that evangelism and sharing your faith is not just for the pastor and the professional Christians. It's for you too. Right? And, and so we, 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 we have to sometimes get out of the mindset that evangelism is a one-time transaction, right? Where we just walk up to somebody and tell them, hey, you're a sinner, you need Jesus, right? But oftentimes it's relational. People are more receptive if you actually care about them, right? That, that you don't look at them as some spiritual transaction to make, but you see them as an image bearer, a person who's been made in God's image regardless of what their background is or where they came from or what they believe, right? We see them as image bearers. And so here's what we need to know is that Paul is engaging with people that are not necessarily like them. So, so it's a little confusing in the text. Paul says um, he became all things all people, right? But he, he mentions a couple groups of people, and there's a little confusion amongst the scholars about who's he, talk, who's he talking about. He says that uh, to the Jew, um, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, uh, like one under the law, although I myself am not under, under the law, right? He says it's about Jews, right, because they, they are Sticklers to the law, to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the commands of God, right? They, they are about the law, uh, the ceremonies and the stipulations and the dietary uh, things that they have to do. And then he talks about to those without the law. He says, uh, like one without the law. He said, I became like one without the law, though I myself am not without God's law. Instead, I'm under the law of Christ. And what he means by that is this. I am, I am not like you. Like, I believe in God's law. However, I'm not going to hold you, although I am a Jewish man, because Paul is Jewish, I'm a Jewish man, I'm not going to hold you to the ceremonies and the stipulations and the dietary requirements of a Jew to tell you that you need to be saved because that those things can't save you anyway. The law is good, but the law is not salvific. It is not there to save you, but point you to the one who can save you, right? And so he says, I become like one without the law. And to the weak, I became the weak. There's no consensus on who the weak is there. The weak, I believe personally, are Christians because he refers to the weak back in uh, chapter 8. So the weak may be Christians who are struggling in their conscience, but even Either way, Paul says, I enter into the lives of these people who are not like me, who does not believe exactly like I believe, but I treat them like image bearers because God took the time to bring them to this world. Right? And so we see a man who's engaging with people that are not like him. And so there's an example uh, in, 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 I think it's in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he took 39 lashes uh, uh, to the, from the Jews. And here's why, because Paul would go into a city, he would go into the synagogue and try to preach about Christ as the Messiah in the synagogue. Uh, the problem with that is, is that they, they didn't want to hear about this Messiah. It was blasphemy to speak in the Jewish synagogue talking about Christ as the Messiah, but Paul would do it. And so what happens is when you talk out of pocket in the synagogue, you got to submit to the discipline of the synagogue. 
And so Paul was like, you know what? I'll submit to those 39 lashes if it still opens up the door for me to go into the synagogue and preach about Jesus. And so was Paul free not to receive those lashes? Because Paul said, you know what? I ain't going back in the synagogue again. Would Paul have been sinning? No, Paul would have not been sinning. But Paul uses his freedom to serve other people if it meant that he could still share the gospel. So sometimes you have to sometimes take a back seat, maybe take some stuff, some stuff that you may not feel that is tolerant in order to save some. And this is what Paul is doing. There's another example where there's this young man that Paul hears about. His name is Timothy. He's Paul's son in the faith. You can read the story in Acts chapter 16. And Paul wants to take Timothy, his son in the faith, with him to witness to the Jews in the synagogue. The problem is, is that Timothy has a Greek father. And guess what? Timothy's not circumcised. And so Paul says, Timothy, I got a great ministry opportunity for you. The problem is, bro, before we go, we're going to Jewish people. And in order for us to be received well, you got to get circumcised. And so you're thinking, oh, his son in the faith, he's a child. He's a little boy. They say, with him. no, Timothy is probably about 25, 30, maybe even 40 years old. And Paul tells him, hey, we got this ministry opportunity. But before we go, dog. We got to stop by the urologist's office. Now, I need you to think about this. A 25, 30, 40 year old man, yeah, exactly, right? And, and, and so I'm just trying to imagine what one scholar said it was a small price to pay at the potential of winning souls. I was like, the devil is a liar. That is not a small <laughs> price to pay under any circumstance. Can, can you imagine this? Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, Donnie. We got an opportunity to save some souls, Donnie. But before we go, uh, we got to stop by the urologist's office. All of a sudden, Donnie's like, Pastor, I think I got to work on the weekends. <laughs> oh, okay. Pa- Pastor Trey, uh, I got an opportunity to win some souls before I can get to the next. He said, no, I didn't sign up for this, Pastor. I'm, I'm done. My reign at the outpouring is over. All right, well, what am I going to do? Herb, we got an opportunity. Before you get it out, all you hear is her feet pattering and a little backwards hat walking out the door. Right? But sometimes you have to put up with something that you don't want to in order to save souls. And Paul is willing to do that. He's willing to pay a small price. He's willing to humble himself. And here's what I want to say. Um, humility is a great instrument of conversion. Humility is a great instrument. You ever heard anybody say they don't like anyone that's humble? Everybody likes humility, right? Even God likes humility. God gives favor to those who are humble. How do you know that? Scripture tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? Humility is attractive to people. If people see your humility and your willingness to to come alongside them, they'll be much more receptive of your gospel than if you sit in the ivory tower looking down on somebody because they don't believe what you believe, right? And so so humility is what draws people in, and this is what Paul is doing. He's going to people of all different backgrounds, and Paul is is there. He's he's dealing with people in their hurt, their pain, their, their confusion like it is in our culture today, and Paul is not saying, look at them. They need to get it together. I can't believe they believe that. I can't believe they're saying that. No, Paul is saying, God, give me an opportunity to come alongside the hurt, the broken, and the confused so that I can tell them the good news about you. And here's what Paul does. He, he considers the challenges of the culture 
without compromising Christ. You, you can be compassionate toward the culture and not have to compromise Christ. You can do both. And so Augustine said this. He says, a person who nurses a sick man becomes, in a sense, sick himself, not pretending to have a fever, but by thinking sympathetically how he would wish to be treated if he were sick himself. That's beautiful. A person who nurses a sick man becomes, in a sense, sick himself, not pretending to have a fever, but by thinking sympathetically how he would wish to be treated if he were sick himself. And this is what it means when it says that Paul becomes all things to all people, the same way the Savior became what he needed for us. He came down. He took on our sin, stood in our place, got on our level. Did God have the freedom and the right to not come down and get in our mess? Absolutely. But he forsook his freedom to come down and level with us so that he can save us. This is the nature of the gospel. This is the nature of the gospel. So we need to be in relationship with people who are not believers. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce said this. He says, we, we, we are to know non-Christians. We are to know non-Christians, befriend them, and enter into their lives in such a way that we begin to infect them with the gospel rather than their infecting us with their worldliness. And so we, we have to come alongside people, regardless of what they believe, whatever, if they vote red, if they vote blue, if they're pro this or if they're pro that, we still have to come alongside people and love them. And so, Paul says, I do all this because of the gospel. And I thought to myself, what an amazing clarity of purpose. We wander around unsure about going here or there, looking for that one thing that gives us significance. But here we see a man that is so sure that it's like he's reaping out of his pores. He eats, sleeps, and breathes the gospel. He eats, sleeps, and breathes southern serving others. And Paul's purpose is no different than ours. Your, your job is not a hindrance to your purpose. It's actually a part of it. It doesn't stop you from living on mission. It is actually the mission field. Your job doesn't stop you from mission. It is the mission field. But what's missing from us is this one factor, and that's love. We think love is not saying anything that would offend anybody and being intolerant. No, no, not serving someone and telling them the good news about Jesus is not, a, is not love. That's actually hatred. How much do you have to hate a culture or hate a society that you live in to know the one thing that could save them and you refuse to tell them? And that's how we have to see it. And so we have to reca recapture the heart of God that cares about seeing people that are far from God. We have to care about them drawing near to Christ. And we all participate in this call. We all participate in this life together. It's not the thing we do. It's actually who we are. And we're, all, we're in this thing for the long haul. This is a life for us. And, and this is why Paul compares it to a race that we're all running. We're all in this race. And guess what? Nobody is sitting on the sideline. Nobody is supposed to be sitting on the sidelines. We're all in on it. It's not like the dude at the end of the bench on the Warriors, right? You always see them couple of guys down at the end of the game. I'd be like, man, I wonder what it's like to make $900,000 a year to do anything. <laughs> do you know that that's the, the NBA minimum is like $900,000? That, that's the dude at the very end of the bench. 
The dude that's swinging the towel around. The dude that's coming out of the first, out of the timeout, he's high-fiving everybody, he's handing out water bottles. That dude gets paid $900,000. But he's so excited about his job. Here's what it says, 24 through 27. Don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we... An imperishable crown. So don't run like one who, I don't run who, like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So why would Paul use this analogy? Uh, because he's in Corinth. And if you were here at the very, very beginning of this sermon series, I talked about the thing called the Isthmian Games. It was second in popularity only to the Olympics, but the Isthmian Games happened in Corinth every two years. And athletes would come from all over the known world to train and compete in these athletic events. And so those who were participating in it, they typically trained for 10 months, a strict dietary regimen, strict exercise regimen in order to get prepared for the Isthmian Games. They would go through all types of stuff, put their body through all types of rigor in order to train and win these games no one who trained in the way that these people trained got in the game to come in second place everybody got in there to run to win the prize because there was only one prize the thing about it was the prize was this throwaway reef a, a reef that looks something like a Christmas reef it, it was nothing it was made of almost nothing it wasn't gold it, it wasn't worth uh, thousands or millions of dollars it was just a simple reef and they will put their body through so much much strict discipline and exercise, so much self-control just in order to win this one temporal prize that was here today and gone tomorrow. They will put their body through all kinds of stuff. They will train themselves and discipline themselves because they were that serious and that focused about their purpose. They got in the games not just to compete, but they got in there to win the prize. And Paul says this Christian life for us, this evangelistic missional life for us is just just like those Isthmian games, when you become a believer, you are in a marathon. You are in a race, and it is a lifelong race, and we're not running this race just to say we're running. We're actually in there to win the game. No, we're not competing. This is not works-based righteousness or works-based salvation. It's not that, but it is to say that if you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian in all that comes with it. Every day you wake up and you represent God. Every day you wake up, you are in the athletic competition, and so what Paul says, says is this I train and discipline my body so that when opportunities to serve somebody comes before me I'm always in a posture to be ready for it I discipline myself so if I have to forsake my freedom at times I'm already knowing you know what I've trained myself for this it'll be all right if I don't drink this time it'll be all right if I don't eat this time it'll be all right if I don't use language this time I will do whatever it takes to win some because that is my purpose and that is my passion and this is what he's saying, but when you get in the Christian life and, and you're just, just running around the track like this, like you don't want to really be out there. You ever see people running and it's like, you don't want to be out here. You ain't serious. You don't want to be out here. But then you see some people and they got on all the equipment and they got on weights and they got water bottles attached to their chest. And, and, and they got on a headband, and they got on the shoes, and they run it, and you like, they, they mean serious business. And you look at them, and you like, yo, I can tell that they do this every single day because they're doing it with intentionality and purpose. They're not just running to run, but they're running to win the race. 
And this is what he calls us to. Paul says, I don't want to be like one who beats the air, beatboxing aimlessly and rehearsing. And so I thought about this. There's a movie that just came out on uh, a, a, a subscription network, shall remain nameless. It's a movie called The Man from Toronto. You may have seen it pop up. It's called The Man from Toronto, and it, and it stars an actor by the name of Woody Harrelson, who, who's, who I know him from White Men Can't Jump fame, right? Got Woody Harrelson, but it also stars, stars Kevin Hart. And, and Kevin Hart's character, his name is Teddy Jackson. And Teddy Jackson is a wannabe failed fitness entrepreneur who keeps coming up with these dumb fitness ideas in order to make money. And so his name is Teddy, and all of his fitness products start with the name Teddy. So he has a fitness band called the Teddy Band. And then that doesn't work out, and then he starts a business called the Teddy Bar of a pull-up bar that you can adjust in size except for it breaks down when you get up on the pull-up bar. And then he has another one called uh, the, the Teddy Burn where you put on this plastic garbage bag and you run with the garbage bag on to burn off sweat except that it burns you up to death and you fall and pass out. So every business idea he comes up with, it fails. But there's one business idea that he is so, so committed to. It's called uh, the Teddy Box. Teddy Box is non-contact boxing. Non-contact contact boxing and so there's a time where he's with the 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 uh the villain in the movie who's played by Woody Harrelson's character and he is the man from Toronto he's a contract killer right and, and so and so there's a time where he enlists Kevin Hart to do his job and they're they're picking out some clothes and Kevin Hart is trying to sell him on the idea of non-contact boxing and T Kevin Hart says to him do you know how important non-contact boxing is and Woody Harrelson says this one famous line and Kevin Hart is standing in front of his face and he's like <laughs> he's just boxing in Woody Harrelson's face and Woody Harrelson is not even blinking one bit and he says to Kevin Hart never box at me again without actually punching me in my face and Paul is saying, never get in a race or punch in the air as a Christian ever again without landing something. And what I'm trying to tell you this is, what I'm trying to tell you is this, Christianity is not a non-contact non sport. Christianity is a contact sport. We come in contact with people. We come in contact with real people in real time with real issues. And the gospel is a not a non-contact sport. The gospel contacts us because Jesus comes down, he grabs us, gets into our lives, and we ought to do the same thing to other people because boxing and Christianity are not contactless sports. It's contact. We engage with other people every day. It's not what we do, it's who we are. I said all that to say this. We don't reduce our call as Christians into a non-contact virtual Christianity. We actually engage with people. Do you know who your neighbor is? Do you know who lives next door to you? No, I'm, that's a real question. Do you speak to them? Who sits next to you at work? Who's in the classroom down the hallway? Who do you park next to? Who do you always see at the grocery store but you never speak to? Who do you sit next to in school? Who has God put in your life that you claim you love, but you've never shared your faith? This is a call for us to live out this purpose that God has given us. This purpose that comes from God, that is about God.
that God has equipped us to do. The good news in itself, the gospel, is about a witness who actually came to one of us and became one of us. He immersed himself in our fallen world, shared the life with us. But even more than that, he gave his life away so that we could live. We model that and respond to that as Christians. This is who we are and who we've been called to be. Right. And this is not about just us making converts. Or, or just making other people Christians. No, this is about God calling us to come alongside other people. To show them and tell them the beauty of the good news about what Jesus has done to save sinners. Most people are walking around today desperately wanting to know why they're here. And they're reaching and grasping at everything to find fulfillment, meaning, happiness. But you and I know that true happiness, true joy, true purpose is not inward. It's outward. Because when you look inward, you will never be satisfied. But when we focus our eyes outward on God and on others, it gives us an incredible opportunity to find and experience that which we feel is so elusive to us. You want happiness? Serve God with your whole heart. You want true joy? You want to find fulfillment in your job? Stop seeing it as a job and see it as an opportunity to serve somebody. This is a game changer. Because maybe it doesn't sound sexy. But it's right. What does is, what is tomorrow look like for you when you go and encounter other people? When you know that it's a, pur- it's a purpose and, and, and God has you there for a reason, Regardless of if you are in Atlanta, Dallas, L.A., New York, or Orlando, doesn't matter. Doesn't change your purpose. Serve the Lord and serve others right where you are. And so what does this mean? For some of us, we need to go back to, to the drawing board because we, just like the rest of the world, are trying to find out the why and the what. We're, we're desperately trying to figure it out. You, 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 some of us, I, if I had to take a bet, I'm, I imagine many of us has, have said that in the last two weeks. I'm trying to figure out my purpose. I'm trying to figure out why I'm here. The first place you need to start is God. If he created you, he created you with a purpose. You have one. He's created you for good works. Stop undermining the small and the mundane things because they don't look big. Right? But but appreciate where God has you and say, God, I thank you for this opportunity to serve you right where I am. Don't despise or estimate or or underestimate where you are. Don't don't look down on it because the culture tells you that it's not ideal. Just because you're not a millionaire doesn't mean you you don't live into a purpose. Just because you're not where you envisioned yourself 10 years ago doesn't mean that God has failed you or that your life is a failure. Just because you didn't get married doesn't mean that you're a failure. Some of us are waiting for one, this one moment, this one event to happen, and then we'll know that we're living on purpose. God says otherwise. Marriage doesn't give you purpose. A family doesn't give you purpose. A job, a career doesn't give you purpose. God does. And once we 
get that, once we get that, it will change everything about our lives. I think it'll solve a lot of our problems, our anxiety, our confusion, our doubts, our depressions, all of those things. Because God is the only one that can satisfy us. So today, I hope, my prayer, is that today you're clearer than you've ever been. I pray that God has been speaking to you through this message. I pray that God has been ministering to your mind and to your heart today. But wherever you are, serve God and serve others. And God's provision will meet you right where you are. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.